0: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. I'm joined by producer Stephen Ellis, In the Shadows, it's been a while since we did a fantasy podcast. There are a couple of extenuating circumstances that prevented it from happening here in the studio, but we are back. I'm excited to talk fantasy with you guys today, and I'm going to start with a new segment. I'm going to call it my league because I think it's important for me to be upfront and disclose how I'm doing in my own fantasy pool so that you can relate to me and you can understand if I'm succeeding, if I'm failing, if I'm trying different experiments. It often applies to the advice I'm giving. And right now, honestly, it's good business because I'm in first place in my league. So it makes me look good. You're getting advice from a first place GM right now. Uh, and I'm feeling good about that. And it, it's interesting. What I've decided to do in my fantasy league, Stephen, is I only play one league now for the rest of time. I think it's way more exciting. It's higher stakes. In real life, you couldn't be, you know, Mark Bergerman say, well, you know, we're struggling right now, but hey, I'm doing great in my other league. I have another alternate universe Habs team. That team's doing well. No way. I want high stakes. I want everything to ride on one season, one league. So I am in first place. Brian Costello, our senior editor at the Hockey News, is also in that league. I made a big trade last week. I acquired Kirill Kaprizov and Joel Eriksson-Ek from 1GM in exchange for Trevor Zegris, Tim Stutzla, and the third-round pick. It's a keeper league. So I'm mortgaging a bit of future, but I, I have a team that can really roll right now. Kaprizov, I think, is going to be a fantasy star this season, and Joel Eriksson-Ek, it's a shots and hits league, so he's very valuable, underrated. So off to a good start in my own league. Let's hope it continues. Let's get to some player pickup advice right now. We're gonna start with the shallow league pickup of the week. It is Anthony Duclair, he's available in 27% of leagues. And we saw the groundwork being laid for this pickup last year. Uh, Duclair, he had more than 30 points in roughly 40 games last year. His under the hood stats, he was generating a lot and I think he actually could have scored a lot more goals last year. Uh, This year, the shooting percentage has actually been lucky. It's over 30%. So there's gonna be some regression there, but overall, I think what we're seeing from Duclair is reasonably sustainable. He's playing on the top line now. He's been reunited with Carter Verheig and Alexander Barkov. He's shooting the puck a lot. He's getting a lot of scoring chances. And I just think he's found a home. The talent was always there. He's always been a really fast player. He was a prolific scorer in junior. He had flashes when he was an Ottawa Senator in particular. And uh, I think we could be looking at, especially with a non-COVID, ideally a full season, a career best Stat line for Anthony Duclair. He's available pretty cheap. You do have to keep an eye on that shooting percentage. Maybe you eventually have to sell high if he keeps scoring at that crazy prolific rate, but it's still a good pickup in the short term at the very least. Now, our medium league pickup. This one really intrigues me. Nico He Nico Heeshe. Some people say, I've been told by Swiss people Heeshe. I've been criticized before on Twitter that it should be He I've been shown a video of him pronouncing his own name He so who knows? Call him what you want. He's a Swiss guy who plays for the New Jersey Devils. He's available in 67% of Yahoo leagues right now. And I feel like people have given up on him. Last year was a very star-crossed season. He had that strange sinus injury, fractured sinus cavity, I think it was. Cost him a lot of the season. But... Because of his two-way ability, the Devils, they view him as sort of an all-situations player. He's playing 19.29 per game right now. He plays on the first line. He plays on the first power play unit, the top penalty-killing unit. Just the repetitions, the minutes are there, which is great for volume stats in fantasy right now. And he's off to a pretty good start. He's warming up, I should at least say, five points in his last five games. So that's someone who I think is going to be trusted by the Devils to play a top-six role all season long. A lot of minutes. And to me, that makes him, when healthy, a pretty high 4 high floor player. So I think in most leagues, he should be owned right now. Deep leagues pickup. We're going to go really deep, okay? Alex Newhook, Colorado Avalanche, available in 98% of leagues. If you read my Sleepers article at the start of the season on our website, he was one of my top 10. Uh, I do think the Avs, they want him. They said before, they they're hoping that he could be a top six forward for this team. He's one of their top forward prospects, if not their top forward prospect at the moment. 16th overall pick in the 2019 draft. Player comparison, the most common one I've seen is Braden Point. He's sort of an all situations slashing style of player. Dynamic, attacks hard. And he didn't make the team, which surprised me, but he did exactly what you want to see from a top prospect. He goes down to the AHL and tears it up. Better than a point per game. Now he's been called back to the Avalanche. And this is a team that is off to a slow start. They're dealing with a potential Nathan McKinnon injury, a lower body injury. So their depth chart is kind of in flux at the moment. And I think that's going to mean an opportunity for Alex Newhook. He's on the team now. So keep a very close eye on him. See if he gets a top six role, especially if you have a bench and you can stash a player like that. It's a high upside stash, Alex Newhook. Let's do our WTF pickup of the week. And it's John Gibson. He's back. He's back on the fantasy radar. He's available in 33% of leagues. And I've said this, for the last couple seasons. We still love John Gibson. We think he's a great goaltender. His fantasy value took a big nosedive the last couple seasons because the team around him crumbled. The Ducks became a pretty bad team, but it was just a matter of waiting for the Ducks to start turning things around because we know the talent is there for John Gibson. They're playing a lot better. All of a sudden, John Gibson's got a 6-2-2 record. He's playing for a team that can win games, 927 save percentage. We know the track record is there for John Gibson to be a high-end fantasy goaltender. So. I think it's it's an actionable event when you see him putting up those good numbers. Even if the Ducks are just an average team, if they've improved to being mediocre, that's good enough for John Gibson to be an ownable goalie and a startable goalie in most fantasy leagues. At the very least, deeper or medium-sized leagues. So, a tip of the week. And this is one I've been trying to teach myself. I've applied it to this season and it's helped me, I think, uh, be in first place. Because... In baseball. For some reason, it's a running joke in my fantasy hockey league. I'm dominant, I'm more dominant in fantasy baseball than fantasy hockey. I've three-peated in my fantasy baseball league. I've won four out of the last six championships. And I'm thinking, why am I more successful sometimes in baseball than hockey? Part of it is that I don't have a, ba- a bias toward player reputations. Maybe as a hockey news employee, I know too much about players in real life. It affects my ability to evaluate. But the key is, Thinking about the big picture and thinking about balance of roto stats. So it's not about obsessing over a certain category, whether it's goals or hits and trying to dominate that category. It's more about, depending on your scoring system, trying to be competitive in every single category. So sometimes most leagues they have a, a, a tool you can look you can sort it and you can see where you rank in every roto category and and i've seen mistakes in the past where me or someone else tries to sell out okay i want to have the best hits team in the league or shots team in the league and you end up sacrificing other categories but really in a perfect world you want to be kind of a top five team in every single category because there's an expression i use especially this applies to head-to-head leagues in particular it's win big lose small if you're competitive in every roto category then you can catch an opponent on a bad week and absolutely dominate and post a massive win which will really jump you up in the standings if you're in a head-to-head format but if you're in if you're also a team that's really balanced it's really hard for you to get blown out because you're always going to be competitive in many categories so you could in in a head-to-head format in which the the win-loss event that determines your spot in the standings when you lose you might lose 5-4 or 7-5 when you win you might win 10-1 8-2 and that gives you a big boost in the standings so that roto balance is super important and it's almost about not really paying as much attention to the player names just look at your numbers and see if you're balanced if you're hurting a certain category trying to prove and be balanced across the board okay the tip segment is complete steven i think we're ready for some questions i'm going to take a big
0: gulp of the old h2o and we can start that's actually pretty good advice on that last one there because it's it's something where yeah goals assists that stuff is so important but then you've got the block shots you got the the hits you got this other stuff that really contributes and if you can win those individual categories that's going to take you a lot farther because everyone's chasing the goals everyone's chasing the points the wins they're not chasing those other categories and that's that is some smart stuff there In my own fantasy league I the one that I won last year. I disbanded because they were mad how I won when I basically won the last like nine matchups in a row after starting like 0-5 or 0 and 6 to start the year. So uh, they uh, that one was kicked out, so I'm kind of co-managing it in a different league, more of a keeper league. But anyways, our first question comes from Hamilton Sports Guy. Any under-the-radar power forward you would recommend in a keeper league? Guys who have scoring upside but will also hit a ton. Thanks okay yeah i have a
1: couple so it depends on your definition under the radar maybe this is too over the radar but it, i think there's potential especially because he hasn't done a ton yet facility pod colson in vancouver he's a very high pedigree prospect so again i apologize if that's too obvious a recommendation but i don't think people know Yet, how effective he's going to be, I think, in hits as well. It's because that's based on your question, you're wondering about hit as well. hits as well. And we know he has tremendous scoring upside. He's going to be a top six forward. I think he's going to be a player who could be at least a 25 goal scorer in the NHL. I think there's potential for a lot more than that. But also, he's physical. He really likes to be a leader and play that heavy, grinding game. So I think you could have someone who kind of puts together a Gabriel landis Cog type of career. And we know landis Cog has been a big asset in scoring and in the hits category for a long time. If you want a deeper sleeper, so if you're in a league where you are any player who's been drafted, you can stash away. I would keep an eye on Tyler Boucher in Ottawa. So he was considered a reach in the draft, this past draft. But everything I've read about him in terms of scouting reports, apparently he's an absolute wild man. He's just a hitting machine. And I've seen reports, like I've heard from scouts, he was the most physical player in the entire 2021 draft class. So that's someone, so we know he's a first-round pick, so at least there's a pedigree that suggests he's going to be an NHL player. And once he makes it, it sounds like he's just going to go bananas and hit everybody in sight. So that's someone to stash as a, as a potential uh, uh, speculative ad if you're looking for hits down the line.
0: Our next question comes from, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Euro Euro 7? Uh, cashing in on lucas raymond or is he a player to hold on for the whole season it's a good question so i'm assuming that that this does not pertain to a keeper league if it's
1: a keeper league and you have lucas raymond you're obviously holding on to him but if you're wondering whether to sell high it depends i'm not necessarily rushing to cash him in because he checks a lot of boxes right he you know he has elite draft pedigree He was a fourth overall pick he was supposed to be a very special player he has all the hallmarks i've said before he's like a quintessential detroit player kind of like a henrik zetterberg one of those players who's just smart at both ends of the ice has tremendous hockey sense and, and i'm swedish <laughs> swedish of course right he's part of like the the whole red wings brand and he's also locked into a very important role he's not going to be going anywhere he's going to be on that top line playing power play detroit desperately needs him especially with yakov out so i don't really see him Losing any opportunities the rest of the season, and I think he was always supposed to be a really good player, so it's not like it's a fluke what he's doing. So, to me, if you're going to cash him in, you have to make sure you're getting a proven start because even if his pace falls off, he to me looks like someone who's going to be a 70 point rookie, I think maybe more. And that to me tells you that you need to be getting a really bankable player if you're trying to cash him out. It's got to be someone I think a veteran who's like Automatic 70-point player is what you need. If you're getting anything less than that, like we're going to get to Taylor Hall later. It's like if someone offered you Taylor Hall for Lucas Raymond, I don't know if I do that even in a redraft league right now. It's got to be someone who has a higher floor than that. So I would not rush to sell Lucas Raymond unless someone's
0: kicking down your door with an offer that's too good to turn down. Speaking of Taylor Hall, Eamon Devlin asked Taylor Hall, how worth holding on to for speculation that he could erupt. Or perhaps a better phrasing is under what conditions is Taylor Hall droppable?
1: Yeah, I think he's still a hold. I don't think you drop him yet. He's got seven points in 10 games, so it's not terrible. It's not like it's not Buffalo Taylor Hall. Um, But I was concerned about him going into the season because the chemistry he found was with Craig Smith, yes, but it was also with David Krejci, who decides to go back to the Czech Republic. And it really just ripped a hole open in Boston's depth chart. All due respect to Charlie Coyle, I just think he's a third line center kind of being shoehorned into a second line role. The chemistry is not quite there. And I just think he's better off lower on the depth chart. So the quality of line mates, not quite the same for Taylor Hall. At the same time, you know, he's still playing on the top power play. He's still a very talented player. I still think the floor is pretty high for him. Maybe it's a 50 point season. Maybe it's 20 goals and 50 points. So to me, that tells you he's not a droppable player because you never know if Boston decides to juggle their lines. Maybe he gets moved to the first line for a little while and they try to split up the big line. Boston does that every once in a while. So He's still, he's still a guy that I think if he was dropped, someone would snap him up immediately. If he was dropped in my league, I would add him immediately. But I don't know if it's about dropping Taylor Hall. Maybe it's about trading Taylor Hall. Because he does have that brand name recognition. And I, I think he's going to be better, of course, than what he did in Buffalo. But I don't know if he's going to maintain the standard he, he held when he came to Boston last season. I don't know if he's going to produce at that rate. So if you can find someone who's willing to pay up on the name, maybe you trade, to go back to the last question, maybe you find the Lucas Raymond owner in your league and you offer him Taylor Taylor Hall for Lucas Raymond. And you kind of get someone who is perceived to be starting quickly, but actually is legit. And you trade Taylor Hall because of his, his name brand. So that's sort of my blanket
0: advice. Hold him if you have him. Don't drop him, but consider trading him. All right, one of our one of the the most prolific question askers, uh, Randon Raven, says: Has a rule change, league adjustment, ever made you leave a league? Speaking specifically to any keeper dynasty like leagues, do you have any hard stances on certain rules, stats that you refuse to budge on?
1: Yeah, good question from Randon and Raven. Um, I've never quit over a rule adjustment or any, any rule related thing in a keeper league. Um, in terms of things that bother me that I'm really wary of, that I think can ruin leagues. It more applies to any type of league, but if you have no type of limitation on roster transactions, it can sort of give all the power to the super active, frenetic GM that likes to stream. So for, we call it in my, in my league, it's especially, it's a problem, especially in a, in a head-to-head league where a matchup ends on a Sunday and if you have no restrictions on player movement you can have the cheapo gm who just adds an entire team worth of guys every sunday to flip every category and win that's me <laughs> yeah so yeah it's and it takes the skill out of the game it's like you're not winning because you have good players you're winning because you just make a lot of moves so we have rules in in my league we don't have a limit on on roster transactions but we have a rule against game stacking so at the beginning of the week in yahoo it tells you how many games your opponent has and you're supposed to it's like an honor system you're supposed to trying to stay close to your opponent in games. If, you're, if your opponent has more games than you, we say, okay, you can add enough games to match whatever games your opponent has had that week, but you can't add more games than your opponent because then it's kind of just cheap. Um, in terms of keeper stats or rules that that I uh, wouldn't want to budge on that I think can be deal breakers, if you have a keeper league that has infinite contracts and no salaries, it's a terrible setup because it really promotes inactivity. Because... Whoever has Connor McDavid is like, no, I'm not gonna I'm keeping him forever. I can keep Connor McDavid for his whole career. No, no. And then you're just gonna get this guy or girl, whoever it is, whoever is the GM or they, that sits on McDavid for his entire career. And it just creates a league environment in which nobody wants to make moves. If you have a limit on contract lengths in a keeper league it's fantastic because then you get an economy of buyers and sellers where you have every year and you might have a team that's out of it they have some star players maybe it's mcdavid who's at the end of his his contract so in my league we have three-year contracts and then you get a lot of buzz you get teams you, you have suitors lining up trying to make an offer to put themselves over the top that team is setting themselves up later to be a contender because you're going to trade mcdavid for draft picks at king's ransom so to me the contract length is crucial. If you don't do it, then you're just going to get, I think, a lot of inactivity where teams are just going to want to sit on their good players, and it creates a boring league setup.
0: All right, next question comes from Ryan. I'm in a bangers head-to-head and have three stars. Who would you drop? Hints, Klingberg, and Pavelski.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. What's going on in Dallas to start this season? Ryan Kennedy was all over Dallas. As his Stanley Cup pick. And it's not Was well, this is actually well. just
0: Ryan asking this question. Ryan Kennedy. Yeah,
1: it's true. It's Ryan. Yeah, good point. It could be Ryan Kennedy. Uh, it's tough because Joe Pavelski of, the, of that trio is playing the best. He probably has the highest floor so far this season. Rupe Hintz has been horrible, which is so disappointing. He was so good last year. Uh, he's got only two points so far, I believe. He did have an injury. I think it was an abductor surgery that he was having in the offseason that maybe has led to the slow start. But the talent is there. I'm a big believer in Rupe Hints, and actually I was looking at some of these questions in advance. As soon as I saw this question, I was looking into Rupe Hints. I made an offer in my league for hints right now, like just before the podcast started because I'm like, oh, that's a great buy low. I think he's going to turn it around. I'm a believer in the talent. And John Klingberg is a tough player to forecast because he's on an expiring contract. So... If Dallas continues to struggle, then that's someone who could be, in real life, a trade deadline rental. And then there's a scenario in which John Klingberg gets traded to a contender and lands in a better fantasy situation. Maybe he's quarterbacking the power play of, of an elite team. And then he could be a league winner down the stretch. So you have to be careful with John Klingberg. If you have to choose someone to drop, there's no easy decision there. I lean toward um, being an ageist here and, biased, and being biased against Joe Pavelski, who's 37. I think he's less likely to match the standard that he set last year, whereas Rupe Hints, assuming he's healthy enough, should catch fire eventually. So to me, I really like him as a buy low, which is why I just made an offer for him in my league.
0: All right. Marcus Beasley asks, A couple weeks ago, I traded Puyarvi for Dubois and Deline. Am I an idiot? <laughs> league counts everything. Standard except blocks and points are the most important by far.
1: Okay. Well, if it's a keeper league, I think you're fine. Um, that's a totally fair return for Jesse uh, Pouliarvi Pierre-Luc Dubois he he predicted this himself so I interviewed him before the season started he gave a really good explanation in terms of how COVID and and clearing customs, everything just threw off his entire timeline for training last season. The deck the deck was kind of stacked against him. So he he felt like he was gonna have a much better year because he was on a normal training schedule this season. And so far that's been absolutely true. So he's been really resurgent. It's exciting to see in Winnipeg bright future there. Rasmus Dalin is also just 21 years old and Buffalo, they're starting to retool. They made their big trade for Jack Eichel or the traded Jack Eichel. They have Don Granado who's getting better play out of this group. So I'm not too worried about Rasmus Dalin long term. That's a good return. This season, though, I don't know. I said this on the first episode of the fantasy podcast. This season, I think that Puliarvi might be the league winning pickup of the year. He's still available, I think, in like 20% or something of Yahoo leagues, by the way. He's on my team. I'm in first place. Probably not a coincidence. And to me, just the situation he's in on the McDavid line, he's stuck there so far. He also, if you're a league that has hits and shots, he's a nice contributor there as well. So to me he he just has potential to be a top 20 fantasy player all year. That's how high the ceiling is for Puljavi when when you're when you're just adjacent to the McDavid magic. That's how that's how nice it is in fantasy. So I think you want to be on that train. So I'm not going to say you're an idiot, but I can say you could lose that trade in a, a one-off redraft league. If it's a keeper league, I think you're fine with that trade.
0: All right, next question comes from Kristen Curtis. Should I drop Varlamov for Hart? And I will say a lot of Islanders fans are saying they should trade Varlamov. It's like, you have two good goalies. Again, that's a pretty rare thing in this league. Don't do that. And the very fact that
1: Varlamov is hurt kind of shows the importance of having two goalies, right? Yeah. That's why you needed Sorokin.
0: If Sorokin's hurt all of a sudden, then you're
1: screwed. Yes, exactly. So Varlamov for Hart. I think this is probably a trade that you make. um, Because if you look at the career trajectory of Carter Hart, I think it's fair to call last season, the horrible year, the anomaly. Because everything else we've seen of Carter Hart in his career, going back to Everett, coming up with the Flyers, he was a prodigy and he was just... Non stop, excellent, extremely mentally strong, just one of the most intelligent goalies, I think, in his draft class as well. So, when Hart is back on track, I tend to believe this is the real Carter Hart because there's only been one bad year of Carter Hart. Every other year in his hockey life has been extremely promising. So, if we accept that, then you have a goalie who's rounding back into form as a starter and is going to get a lot more volume than Varlamov because Varlamov, obviously, he was hurt. The door was open for Ilya Sorokin. Sorokin's been good enough, he's been excellent. So, I think. Now we have to think of Sorokin as the one A and Varlamov the one B. Sorokin was always being groomed as the long-term one A, so I do believe that's going to be the case going forward. So if Varlamov goes down to the one B role, the volume is not going to be as good as what you get from Carter Hart. So if you're in a standard league that counts saves or shutouts or wins, I think yes, you want Carter Hart over Varlamov now. If your league counts rate stats or weighs them heavy, uh, more heavily or heavier than the other volume categories, so goals against average and save percentage, then I think maybe Varlamov is still going to be the better own because the Islanders, we just trust them more to be stingy. And I think Varlamov, obviously, he just came back, but he's probably going to have a strong goals against average and save percentage, maybe better than Hart when the season's all said and done. So if that's the case, maybe you hold Varlamov, but in all other scenarios, league configurations, I think you want Carter Hart.
0: Next question comes from Jan Shobot. I need to drop two players, man Giapani, Horvat, or Dalin which one should I keep?
1: Yeah, I actually think this decision is pretty easy. When I first looked at the question, I thought it was dropping one player, but you're dropping two. To me, you're holding on to Bohorvat. Horvat. He's just much safer. He's proven. He's always going to play a major role. He has major minutes. The Vancouver Canucks, their forward depth is really strong. He's going to have quality line mates most of the time. And I think that's just a pretty easy decision. If you look at Andrew Mangipani, he was off to a tremendous start, but he only plays 14 minutes a night. He's Scoring at a really unsustainable rate, 30% shooting percentage. Recently, he's been put back to the third line. So I think that, that hot streak is already over. So I think it's a pretty safe drop. He's still, a, a useful real-life player. Has a lot of tenacity. Very likable guy. But in fantasy, he's just okay. And with Dahlin, or Dahlin, I shouldn't say Dahlin, Dahlin. I sound like Don Cherry. But uh, John the Dahlin, I think there's obviously some promise there. But the sample size is just small. He's playing on a, on a, a team I think that's going to be weak. Uh throughout the season overall even though the sharks have been a bit better than expected so he's not overly safe he has to do a lot more to show that he's legit uh so to me horvat it's the easy decision hold on to horvat
0: i will say that uh is a canadian hero based off of how he played at the world hockey championship the most important tournament of the year matt says otherwise he basically shows up midway through the tournament and uh, canada all of a sudden wins every single game once he's in the lineup so
1: yeah, that tells you a lot. The fact that Andrew Manjipani is the MVP, all due respect to him, but it just shows that's that's why the tournament. It, it hey, was it was competitive. Whoever's available, whoever's available, come play. Yeah, this won't determine anything. It's not best on best. It's just some guys against some
0: guys. That's why the the world. It could still be fun hockey. It doesn't it can matter. Still be fun hockey. Doesn't determine anything. It's a great hockey tournament. Low stakes. It's great. Okay, uh, Sammy Snark says, the World Championship is the best, no. Uh who is someone that is disappointing you big time in fantasy right now? This is a very easy answer.
1: <laughs> it's gotta be all the Colorado Avalanche players. This is supposed to be one of the most, if not the most fertile fantasy environments in the league. And you know, you have Nathan McKinnon battling the injury. Mikko Rantanen already missed some time. Rantanen, uh, I have him on my own team, so I've noticed it more directly, that obviously he's been off to a slow start, five points in seven games. So this is a team that, especially with McKinnon and Rantanen, those should be two top 10 players in fantasy, right? And it's not happening so far. That said, assuming that the McKinnon diagnosis is not too grim... These are fantastic buy lows because they're going to be fine in the long run. And if you can get them for $0.90 on the dollar, $0.95, $0.99 on the dollar, then go for it because I think they're going to make you happy down the road. So disappointing, yes, but I'm not worried. It's still only a month into the season.
0: Ronald asks, how patient should I be with Nick Suzuki this year?
1: I'd say reasonably patient. So he was someone that I was concerned about in fantasy going into the season. I think there's a perception versus reality problem uh, for Suzuki in fantasy because he does so many, thing well, so many things well in real life. He's a smart player. He has a lot of responsibility at both ends of the ice. So he doesn't need to be an elite fantasy player to be helpful in real life, but he's got, you know, playing in a Canadian market, he's, he's already a big name player, right? So he's got that reputation. In reality, I think his career ceiling might be 70 points, which is still really good. But it's not like he's going to be an elite fantasy player. So you have to keep expectations reasonably modest, especially with Philip De Nogon, more responsibility on Suzuki's plate. At the same time, he still has 12 points in 14 games. He still has some support in the lineup from Christian Dvorak, who can play a two-way role as well. So he's still going to be a highly rosterable player. Uh, so I don't think you absolutely panic and i don't i don't even know if patience is the word cuz 12 points in 14 games that's probably about the pace you're going to want to get from from Suzuki that would be a 60 point pace in 70 games yeah that's about right that's probably a win this season considering how young he is considering all the injuries the Habs have had and considering that Cole Caulfield has been sent down so i think if you just accept the current production as what to expect going forward you'll be fine
0: it kind of matters just though that the guys he's passing to is, are still scoring because pretty much it has been kind of all assists. Nine of his 12 points are assists. And you look at it, only one guy has more goals on the team, being Mike Hoffman with four in 11 games. Yes. So,
1: Yes. And and with Suzuki, the thing is he's not a goal scorer. It's, that's mm-hmm. not going to be what he is. So the stat line like he has now is probably going to be pretty standard. right? You might have a lot of seasons in his career where he gets 20 goals and 60 points, which is perfectly fine, but it's not going to make him an elite fantasy commodity.
0: As long as those guys he's passing to are scoring, that's kind of how what makes him as good as he can be. Christopher Reeves, not to be confused with Superman, a former Superman actor. Uh, Kevin Fiala isn't looking great. Do you foresee him bouncing back? Absolutely, this is the Kevin Fiala experience. This is what he does every year. He goes through
1: massive slumps, then he catches absolute fire. It happened two years ago. Last season, I just was looking it up. After 29 games, he had nine goals and 15 points. And then in the next 21 games, he had 11 goals and 25 points. This will happen again. It's just what he does. He's one of the streakiest, if not the streakiest players in the NHL. And because he's gotten one of his bad Kevin Fiala stretches out of the way, go and get him, make an offer for him right now so you can catch the next good Kevin Fiala wave. Because when he's on fire, he can actually carry you for stretches.
0: Now, now speaking of superheroes, uh, have you seen any of the Spider-Man new Spider-Man leaks?
1: I've been trying not to because there's confusion with those leaks as to whether they're trailer leaks or actual plot spoilers. So I'm trying to avoid anything and I just don't want to have it ruined for me because obviously there's going to be a lot of mystery in terms of who's going to appear in this movie and how, how much Tobey Maguire are we going to get, how much Andrew Garfield, Alfred Molina, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? So I, I don't want to risk it.
0: I've been loving the leagues. I've been. It's been a big fun thing. Uh, last question we got is from uh, Stu Dawson too. Do you really believe Martin Jones can sustain this level of playoff? He's playing well, but we're talking about a three-game sample size.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's far too soon to know. Um, he was the worst goalie statistically in the NHL for the past three years, so that is a much bigger sample size than three good games of Martin Jones. There are a couple of things to look for. So I noticed. You know, this is the thing I've talked to a lot of goalies about in the last few years. Um, There's a trend in which a lot of goaltenders play better when they get shelled. For some reason, you just get more of a rhythm. You're not cold. And Martin Jones, in terms of the expected goals against Per 60, it's the highest he's ever had. So it's only three games in. But it's telling in terms of the defensive support he's getting in Philadelphia. It's actually the worst he's ever had compared to his time in, in LA and in San Jose. So for all we know... Maybe this is a goaltender that just needs to get that rhythm and just face a lot of shots to play better. It's possible, but overall, I wouldn't put too much stock into it yet. And also, Stu Dawson, what league are you playing in when you're caring about Martin Jones? (laughs) This is a really deep league. My gosh, I like that sounds like a pretty intense league when Martin Jones is relevant. You know, Uh, but yeah, overall, I I wouldn't worry too much, or
0: I wouldn't put too much stock into it yet. I, I would love to be part of this league. But that's it next time or next thing up is uh, starting lineup yes okay we're gonna do the starting lineup if you're uninitiated
1: i just create a lineup of six it's kind of arbitrary but you know there's five skaters and a goalie and i just pick a random subject i much prefer if someone else gives me a topic so please if you want to tweet me give me topics and give me anything i'm talking anything that's appropriate okay and i'll try and make it top six okay it's not in order it's six so for this episode, I chose my favorite interview subjects. I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. Um, honorable mention, so I tried to keep it mainly uh, hockey, like whether it's players or coaches, um, but there are a few out there that are, that are sort of adjacent to the game that are amazing. So from the agent side, Alan Walsh of Octagon is, is awesome. He's just going to throw it out there and spit fire. He'll say whatever's on his mind. He's always a great interview. Also Kwame Mason, the director of the documentary Soul and Ice. We've had him on our podcast before. He's amazing. Just a charismatic person. I kind of want to run through a wall every time I talk to him because he's this inspiring speaker. But if we're keeping it to hockey players and coaches, my six. Okay. I have Drew Doughty because Drew Doughty to me talks like a player who's retired. And what I, why I say that is retired players always say what's on their mind. They just don't care. And they just give you way more. But Drew Doughty is someone who even while playing, he'll just say what's on his mind. He's always interesting to talk to. Um, also on my list is almost like the retired version of Drew Doughty. So it's like Drew Doughty on steroids in terms of interview quality. Hall of Famer Brad Park. That's someone, if you want to just get him to reminisce on a certain topic or memory, he just goes off. and He'll, he'll share whatever was on his mind. He'll be self-deprecating. He'll fire off F-bombs. He'll do anything. And to me, he's just a very giving and generous interview subject. He'll just throw anything that's on his mind out there. Um, Another one, not a big surprise, Ilya Brzezgalov, because he's just such an interesting character, and he's very self-deprecating. As I've said before on the podcast, when I interviewed him for the top 100 goalies of all time, he kept interrupting me and just double-checking that he really was one of the top 100 because he couldn't believe it, and he was laughing (laughs) at that idea. Um, From the coaching side, Ken Hitchcock, really sincere person to interview and just very thoughtful, always just very, I don't know, he just, he thinks the game at a high level, always has very intriguing theories about the game, um, is very analytical. Uh, I Also on the list, I just put all the Broad Street bullies. So I've done an oral history and spoken to many members of that team, whether it's Bobby Clark or Bernie Perron or Bill Clement, anybody from that team, just, they have really awesome stories. And... I couldn't pick one person, but just they're all tremendous interview subjects. And last, it's an obvious pick, but it's the truth. P.K. Suman, he always gives you very colorful, interesting interviews. And it's interesting. You can go back and listen. It's in our podcast archives. The sound quality is probably not great because it was like I did the interview on my phone in a hotel room. But uh, P.K. talked about the idea of just when I asked him, like, what is it like to always be on? And he almost was offended by it. But I mean it in a good way. He just said, no, this is not like I'm not on. This is just who I am all the time. It's just me. And it kind of just sums up why he's a great interview subject because he's just a very lively person to talk to at all times. So that those are my six, my favorite interview subjects. I'm sure I'm forgetting some good ones and I'll think of them as soon as the podcast is over. But that's the six. And that concludes this episode of the Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks on more of a regular schedule. And please, I always, you guys are always great at sending me great fantasy questions, but send me ideas for the starting lineup too. I want them weird. I want to be challenged. Thank you for listening and watching. I can feel